0: God's people said, amen. Please be seated. God continues to lead us from his word. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Well, brothers and sisters, as Greg comes to preach the word of God to us, this is God's counsel to us. Hear it. Family of God, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, as well as locate the insert in your notes. Use them to follow along and take notes. The section that we're at in Malachi is the most difficult passage in this book. And it's the most difficult not because of its content, but because of the Hebrew. The Hebrew is, is very difficult in 10 through 16. And in fact, there's three specific verses which um, commentators and uh, exegetes and Bible translators are really struggling with regards to how to translate it. Um, verse 12 is one of them, verse 15 and verse 16. And so that is why when I read, um, and if you're following along in your, in your Bible, you will note if you have a different translation the New American Standard that you've got quite a different um, variation in terms of how it's translated. The struggle with ten through sixteen is it, it, because of that. It, it lends itself to two different primary um, interpretations. Either um, we read ten through thirteen and interpret verses fourteen, which is about marriage, through sixteen as an example of what the main issue is, and that is the the, the body life of the body. Or we read. 14 through 16, and allow it to, or um, we read. I'm sorry, verses 10 through uh, 13 in light of 14 through 16. 14 through uh, up through 16, coloring our understanding of what the terms are and the languages in 10 through uh, 13. I'm of the former, so t- uh, today we're going to be looking at 10 through thir- uh, 13 as the primary message. 14 through 16 is an example of an application of that a message, and then he rounds it up with the summary. And uh, so, brothers and sisters, this is God's word, and as this is the words of our Almighty King, let me invite you to stand together with me out of reverence and respect for the reading of his word. Hear now the word of King Jesus. <clears throat> do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel, in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob every one who awakens and answers, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offering? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel." And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you may not deal treacherously. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time and privilege you've given us to now fellowship around your word. God, we pray that you indeed would be the teacher. You would open our eyes and you give us the grace to understand your word. But then secondly, Lord, the grace to be responsive. Lord, everyone hear that, oh God, your word would rest heavily upon us. And Lord, you would prick us, you would encourage us, you would rebuild us and refashion us to the image of Jesus Christ. God, give me grace to preach with fidelity, therefore, and give us grace to rest and rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I've titled the entire book of Malachi, basically, uh, The Dangers of Mechanistic uh, Christianity. And I got that title by simply studying this book, and uh, that seems to be the summary of this book. however, that's my language, not necessarily from the scripture and so i want to ver- I want to clarify a little bit more uh, with you because in talking and fellowshipping with you, it appears that there's some misunderstanding as to the word mechanistic okay some perhaps have thought that by mechanistic I mean something that works all by itself. So for example, the Roman Catholic doctrine of ex opera operata, which is the idea that um, housed in the, the sacrament of the Lord, a supper or baptism is the ability to perform the work of growing people in grace by itself. So in that sacrament, in that work is the doing. The doing's done by that work. Has nothing to do with us. Has nothing to do with um, the efficient. It has everything to do with the actual work. And brothers, while that um, is wrong, um, nevertheless, that is not what I mean by mechanistic Christianity. Mecha- that's in fact that's too brainy. Mechanistic uh, Christianity is 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 mindless Christianity. Mechanistic uh, Christianity is a Christianity which um, uh, basically is um, um, ripped, um, the heart and soul of it is ripped out. And the people who then do it are just doing it out of uh, compulsory, out of um, uh, duty, they just do it. They're not doing it with any mind, with any thought, they're just doing it. Christianity has, has become just this rote activity. OK uh, Another way of describing it might be describing mechanistic living. Have you ever been in a shower? This is my experience. Have ever been in a shower? The, the shower's towards the end, and you know, uh, maybe you're washing that last thing that you wash before you, you get out, and then you go, "Have I washed my hair?" I have no memory of washing my hair. Now, you, you feel it. I do have some. You feel it, and, and, and you go, wow, it's, it's, it's not greasy, therefore I must have washed it, but I have no memory of washing it. That's mechan, mechanistic living. It's just it's just going through through the motions. Brothers and sisters, we can get into mechanistic living where you and I go through the motions day in and day out and never have a significant interaction with another person. Living in your home Family devotions, sleeping with your wife, eating breakfast, eating lunch, eating dinner, and yet never, never, I'm um, them. That's mechanistic living, and that, brothers and sisters, is similar to what mechanistic uh, Christianity is. It's forgetting the focus, substance, and end of Christianity, which is Christ. It's eviscerating the gospel to being just a list of duties that I do. Christian, what do you do as a Christian? What do you do? Well, I read the Word of God every morning. We have family devotions. I go to church. I do this. I do that. That's my Christianity. Now, occasionally, you and I will wake up from that, that dream, from that mode, and we'll take stock of our lives, and we'll go, I'm not what I wanted to be. My family's not where they should be. And then we'll blame God. We'll say, I've been doing all the right stuff. And yet, I'm not where I need to uh, I need to be. And then, the natural thing beyond that then is to um, replace God's biblical standard for how we should live, move, and act, and think, which is focused upon Christ. Will replace that um, with a personalized form of Christianity designed to meet our needs. So, Christianity, when it's mechanized, becomes very selfish, and that is where God's people were found. In uh, the time of Malachi, it's, it's in between two great redemptive um, acts in God's redemptive uh, program during the Kingdom years, where all the prophets were were proclaiming and proclaiming and speaking, and then the first coming of Jesus Christ. They were there for the during this 400 years of silence, where God was quiet, other than Malachi 4:44. And where, where miracles were no longer taking place, prophecy was no longer taking place, miracles were not taking place, and therefore God's people were living really just humdrum lives. And for, uh, for them, they therefore impose their own uh, significance, their own meaning upon worship, God's word, the pulpit, ministry, fellowship, seeking to get the best the most that they could from it in order to feel um, religious, to feel good. And so they didn't reject God. They just morphed Christianity to become a, cre- a, a religion of self, a religion of self-betterment, a religion of self-feeling good about yourself. So God sent Malachi not to condemn, but to correct and to straighten out. And to encourage God's people. Now Malachi chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is the foundation upon which, through which we interpret everything else. And that foundation is the love of God. God here is not venting his wrath. He is loving his people. I love you brothers and sisters. And because I love you, I've sent Malachi to come and give you six or seven, depending on how you break it up. Six or seven encouragements, exhortations, and yes, rebukes that you and I would not live that humdrum life, but that we would have a a, a vivency, a, a, Um, a life in our walk, which is focused upon God, focused upon Christ, not upon religiosity. Thus far, we've seen the first message he gave revolved around worship, The second one revolved around the pulpit. Now, this morning, it revolves around the body life of the church. And with each one of these six or seven sections, God begins with, this is what you're doing. He describes their compromise. And then he he then gives the uh, correction. So this morning, we're going to begin by looking at the symptoms of mechanistic Christianity when applied to the body life of the church. Okay, so notice with me two symptoms. You know a church has fallen into mechanistic Christianity when these two things take place. Number one, we trample underfoot the body, life of God's people, verse 10. Notice with me, verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Most likely this is a reference to Abraham, although commentators argue it could be Jacob or it could be God. Regardless, the point is the same. If we have one father, then we're a family, and if we're a family, then we have obligations to one another that go way beyond our obligations to the world. If we have one father, then brothers and sisters, we are one family. And then the next uh, question, has not one God created us? Now that's in reference not to the world, but to the family, and he's referencing the doctrine of creator rights. What is the doctrine of creator rights? Well, Revelation 4 is one passage I've memorized that is a beautiful detail of it. Notice it. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. You're worthy to be worshipped. Why? For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. The doctrine of creator rights is because God created us, he has the right to be worshipped. But it's more than that. In our text, he's referencing the doctrine of uh, creator rights in the context of the covenant body, in essence saying, because God made you and gifted you, think of First Corinthians 12, uh, 7, he has then given you the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's desired that you might bless the body of Christ. That's the idea here. We have one father, we're a family. He made us just as we are to invest in, in that family, to bless that uh, family. Brothers and sisters, you will mark this, mark this. Christianity is a religion of otherness. Christianity is a religion of giving. God gives us extra money. In the U.S., we all have it. 1 have it. Timothy 6, 13 and following. He gives us extra money that we might use it to bless the body. Think about that. He doesn't give you money that you might have a, an easy life. He gives you money that you might give. He gives you gifts that you might give. He gives you station that you you may give. That's the whole point of the covenant body of Jesus Christ. And now he comes to his main uh, question. Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? The covenant here is a reference to Abraham, which was renewed in Isaac, Jacob, and then Moses, and then David, and then fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, that covenant has various and sundry aspects to it. But the emphasis in this passage is, is the community that that covenant um, uh, created. Listen to Genesis seventeen seven. Notice it. I will establish my covenant between me and you, this is Abraham, and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting uh, covenant. This just isn't for the individual. This is for the entire clan, the entire body, the entire family. I'm going to create this family through you to be an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. This promise established a culture in Judaism where God's people cared for each other. In fact, brothers and sisters, because of God's love for his people, when they were yet so wicked and so immoral and so bad, the ethic arose from the covenant that Christianity is all about caring for the weak and the hurt and the, and the needy. Jeremiah chapter 22. God pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? You know the essence of Christianity? Giving. Giving your life up unto God. Giving your life up unto your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to your siblings, to your brothers and sisters in Christ in this body. That's the essence of Christianity. And what a radical st- uh, statement. In the ancient world, weak people, hurting people, poor people, inf- um, infirmed pe- uh, people were, were that way. It was believed because they had sinned or their parents had sinned. Remember John 9. Okay, that was the idea. They're sinful or they're struggling because they've sinned. And so the idea was, if you helped someone struggling, you were endorsing their sin. So in the ancient world, if you saw someone hurt and needy, you didn't help them. You criticized them. You spat at them. You cursed them. Remember Paul writing in the book of of Galatians, he had that deformity, um, eye problem or whatever it was. He said, man, you didn't spit at me. You, you accepted me as an angel. In that world, when you saw Paul looking like that, you would have just, you know, spat upon him quickly, hardly. Okay, so brothers and sisters, but not so in the body of Jesus Christ. In the body of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, even the weak, the most weakest member of the body is the most exalted. Remember that? That's the covenant community that God created through the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet, brothers and sisters, and thus, because of that, the expectation was there for God's people. Exodus 22, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppose him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan if you afflict him at all. And if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry and my anger will be kindled. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we read in Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, or or 2 verse uh, 13. God was disciplining his people because of their neglect of the body of Jesus Christ. God was, God was disciplining his people because they were trampling underfoot one another. If you look forward to chapter 3, verse 5, look in your Bibles, the very end of it. He's, uh, um, he's rebuking those who um, uh, against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside um, those who turn aside of the alien and do not uh, fear me. This was a problem at this time. We know this was a time of famine, and God's people were struggling. And we know that the wealthy were employing the 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 poor, helping them with food. And when the poor could not uh, um, either pay them or couldn't work for it, they then charged onerous interest in these huge yokes. They brought they put their kids into slavery. I mean, it was a horrible time. And so Malachi comes and says. You are, you are just trampling underfoot the covenant of our fathers. So corporately as a body, they were massively destroying the covenant community, trampling it underfoot. Now, if there's any place outside of our, our relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's any relationship that's more intimate than your relationship with Jesus Christ, we would think it would be marriage. And so he turns to marriage. Notice, uh, skip down to verse 14. Verse 14, actually, before we go there, brothers and sisters, I want you to, to see, that's the product of mechanistic Christianity, the first part. Okay, when you and I view what we do eventually about serving us, we, we come to a church, not to worship God, but to get from God, to get inspiration, to get entertainment. I go to the word of God, not, not to come to know Jesus Christ. I go to the Word of God that I might get a pick-me-up, that I might check off my box, that I might feel good about me. I'm a religious person and I haven't misreading the Word of God for four years. And when we approach the body of Jesus Christ as they as you exist for me, I'm coming here. For the sole purpose of you people blessing me. And if you don't bless me, how long does it take till I get disenfranchised and I start saying, you know what, this is a cold church. I don't have any friends here. People don't care about me. They don't care about, about uh, one another. Brothers and sisters, the whole focus of the covenant community is not coming to get. It's giving. But brothers and sisters, mechanistic Christianity flips it on its head. So we come here and we, when we say, this church is there for me. You are there for me. And when brothers and sisters, we take that long enough and hard enough, do you know what happens? The same problem that it reared its ugly head at, at the Galatian churches, uh, Galatians 5. But if we bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by, by each other. Biting congregations, devouring congregations, are congregations that, are, that have lost Jesus Christ. They have, they, their religion is Christless. It's all about them. It's all about what they can get. Oh, they use, they use the word Christ. They pray to Christ. They thank Christ. They believe the gospel. But their day in and day out life is not about serving, loving, adoring, fellowshipping with God, Jesus Christ. No, their daily life is getting as much as they can from God from their jobs, from their world, from their family, from their spouses, from their kids, from their church, from their sermons, from their worship services. And when they let you down, you're disenfranchised, and you yell and scream and and hurt and bite and devour. That's the picture here. Now, again, if there's any relationship where that is more seen clearly, evidence is early, way before a church struggles with it, it's in marriage. Notice with me verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason... Why is it that God's not blessing us, blessing our worship, verse uh, 13? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and your wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now we know from Nehemiah and Ezra the background here. Nehemiah and Ezra both tell us that at this time God's people were, were marrying Gentile women. And not it's not the, the race that, that was the problem. It wasn't that they were marrying other races. It's they were they were marrying non believers. Okay? Nehemiah chapter thirteen, twenty three. In those days I, Nehemiah, also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, Moab. And it gets even, even worse. Many commentators on this passage, and I'm not going to go through the long journey, is to show you where it comes from. But it is from verses um, the fact that he's dealing with the divorce, and the fact that God hates divorce, and on and on and um, on. Belief that on Malachi went even one step further. Not only were they divorcing their 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 spouses, and, uh, but they were divorcing them to marry Gentile women, to marry non-believers. Okay, T, uh, TV Moore put it this way. Um, other women whom you have wronged so he's sort of paraphrasing malachi the woman whom you have wronged was the companion of those earlier and brighter days of your life when in the bloom of your young beauty of her young beauty you she left her father's house and shared in your early struggles and rejoiced in your later successes who walked arm in arm with you along the pilgrimage of your life cheering you in your trials by her gentle ministry And now when the bloom of her youth has faded and the friends of her youth have gone, when her father and mother whom whom she left for you are in the grave, then you cruelly cast her off as a worn-out, worthless thing and insult her her holiest affections by putting an idolater and a heathen in her place. So, brothers and sisters, it manifests itself in marriage. And the most clear way it does is when, and you see across our world today, in the, the church... Just as mechanistic Christianity makes God all about me, Christianity all about me, me mechanistic marriages make your spouse all about you. Man, you exist for me. And if you cease pleasing me, if you cease making me happy, if you cease serving me the way I expect to be served or spoken about or viewed, then I get upset and I get angry. That's mechanistic uh, Christianity. And it rears its huggle head very early on in our, if you're married in your spiritual walk and that your marriage becomes struggles where each vie for themselves. Then, uh, right, it's my turn, it's my turn to go out with my friends. It's it, You know, tit for tat marriages, tit for, uh, for tat changing of the child's diaper. Hey, I changed the last uh, diaper. It's not about service. It's all about me and it's my rights and my turn. And so, God comes here and he addresses two very clear areas where mechanistic Christianity is having a horrible impact upon the community. The body of life of the people of God as exemplified ultimately in their marriages. Now, how do you get to a place like this? How can you profess faith in Jesus Christ? All of us love Jesus Christ, at least profess that we love him, and then bite and devour each other as a body how can you be married and love this person and, and say i'll lay my life down for, for you only to in three five ten twenty years later to find yourselves eating each other up biting devouring consuming each other how does it happen how does mechanistic uh, christianity occur and we've already answered that a couple times now but we're going to answer it almost every single time we, we look at it notice with me the twofold cause Verses 11 and 12. One, the compromise of God's worship. Verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Four: Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. Now, without 15 and following or 14 and following, we understand this in reference to the um, worship of God. Now, if you read um, this in light of that, then you're going to say this is them divorcing and marrying Gentile uh, women but, it, but brothers and sisters the natural way to read this is he's talking about they've profaned the sanctuary of the Lord the worship of God how and has married the daughter of a foreign God understand what that means that's a colloquialism what that means is they didn't give up God that would be marrying a foreign God they didn't say hey you know what we're done with Yahweh we're going to worship Baal Okay? No, what they're doing, just like Solomon, they're marrying the daughter of a foreign god, which, which implies what happened when Solomon uh, did that? His faith was corrupted. In essence, he began worshiping God according to the traditions of his, of his foreign wives. And that's the idea. This is the track record of God's people. Often, other than the era of Manasseh and that, that dark time, God's people did not reject Yahweh. But they took the liturgy, the worship liturgy of Baalism, and they brought it right into Yahwism, and thus they worship God according to the principles and mindset and worldview of Baal. And that's exactly the language here. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Brothers and sisters, your worship is corrupted. You think worship is all about you. Isn't that the land in which we live Think of broad evangelicalism. Think of the church. In, uh, I'm in America. Worship is all about us. In fact, you can go to different theological seminaries and they'll teach and train you how to raise up, become really, really good at giving a church that, that, that meets all your, your yeah. needs. Brothers and sisters, the moment we do that, we have corrupted our walks. We have uh, corrupted uh, Christianity. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. And thus, brothers and sisters, those who do that, these are the priests here. Those who actually led in compromising this. Remember last week's sermon, last week's text? The priests were compromising the pulpit to please the wealthy and the powerful. Those who do this, notice verse 12. As the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob. Everyone, in the next phrase is is unintelligible, who wakes and answers. No one knows what that means. Um, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is God says, Malachi is saying, I am, I'm hoping and praying that the Lord cuts off those those priests, either through um, deposition, they get deposed uh, from office, excommunication, or death. Same thing Paul uh, prayed for in, or referenced in 1 Corinthians three sixteen 16 through uh, 17. If you corrupt the worship of God. If you corrupt the church of God, you know, may God excise you. So, brothers and sisters, this is incredibly serious. Why? Why is mechanistic Christianity there? Because, brothers and sisters, we've changed worship from being a place where we go and give, adore, exalt, glorify to a place where we get. Now, brothers and sisters, fundamentally here. You need to realize uh, something big. You you and I will go wrong if you and I think that worship is an activity of the believer. It's not. It's our identity. Do you understand that? Mechanistic Christianity begins when you and I began thinking of worship as something we do. Because the moment we say it's something we do, it's separate from us. And then we began in time, because we grow bored with it, first uh, um, message, um, we begin tweaking it, make it something that we like. Brothers and sisters, worship is not something we do as a Christian. It's something we are, Philippians 3.3. 1 3. John 4.23, God is seeking true worshipers. If you're saved, guess what you are? Now, what you do, what you are, you're a true worshiper of God. Now, you go, why is that so important? It's so important because it, 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 it um, hits at the very foundation of how you identify yourself. In the Old Testament, when you became a priest, guess what? You were accepted and able to enter into the presence of God. Do you identify yourself as a priest? You are, 1 Peter 2, 8b-9. through is your identity that I am one who has full access to God at all times? I am one who lives in the presence of God at all times, corndale, before the face of God. And therefore, I'm not doing things to get God to accept me. I'm doing things because God accepts me. Because I'm living in the holy of holies. Because it is well with my soul before God. Remember Romans 12, 1? I did a sermon on this, I don't know, six months ago. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. We misunderstand that verse, recall. We think what we do makes us acceptable to God. And Paul is not saying that. He's saying because you're acceptable, present yourself a living and holy sacrifice unto God. Right? Your identity. What is your identity? You are worshipers. You are priests. Mechanistic Christianity makes you no longer a priest, no longer a worshiper. It makes you someone who engages in worship, who engages in fellowship, who engages in Bible reading, who engages in marriage. And when those things let you down, you begin morphing them, changing them, leaving them, um, uh, exchanging them for that which 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 your whistle or whatever the expression is. Right, So brothers and sisters, the reason, why is it that they fell into mechanistic Christianity? Just as his first message was, chapter 1, 6, and following, their worship had become compromised. Their identity had been compromised. But secondly, brothers and sisters, not only was their worship compromised, but God's salvific grace. Notice with me verse 13. And this is another thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning. Because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now you go, what's wrong with that? Isn't that natural? No, it's not natural. Well, I guess as a sinner it is. In our flesh it might be. Brothers and sisters, this is placating Christianity. This is Ezekiel eight fourteen, 14, where the women gathered in the temple during Ezekiel's day and were weeping for, for Tammuz. They were weeping, trying to evoke Uh, uh, Tamaz, to act on their behalf. This is placation. So God's people, having compromised what worship is, what they were, now transformed their entire relationship with God as a performance, where they had to placate God through their tears, their many tears. They went to the temple and they wept to show how worthy they were for God to do the different things that they wanted him uh, to do. So, brothers and sisters, not only did they compromise the worship of God, they compromised the gospel. Remember that account in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah is is having a a competition um, with the 450 prophets of Baal? Notice, brothers and sisters, how the prophets went about getting their God to light their sacrifice. Then they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there's no voice, and no one answered. They leaped about the altar, and they may, um, which they had made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said to them, Call out with a loud voice, um, for he is a god. Either he's occupied, meaning he's gone to the bathroom, or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice. Their brothers and sisters, they're, they're trying to placate Baal, to get him to, uh, to act and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them and it came about when midday was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that's what we're reading about in our text that raving okay verse uh, um, uh, 14 um, or, or 13 this is another thing um, you, you cover the altar. You cover it with tears. How much water would you need to cover the altar of God? Probably about four or five hours of raving. Okay, You cover the altar. That's, how, that's, that's the kind of worship God's people were engaging in and the relationship that they had with God. God was not their father. He was not one who loved them. I have loved you, says God. I am your father. I care about you. You are in my presence. You are a worshiper of me. You're a priest. Therefore, because you're acceptable, worship me and enjoy life. Come and give. Give what you have received from me. Give it to other people. That's Christianity. But these guys made it. Oh, no, no, no. You go through these motions to get a a blessing. And when you don't get the a blessing, you keep on doing more and more work until you are exhausted. And that's the picture here. That is why, brothers and sisters, the body life was destroyed. Because brothers and sisters, they approached God in a mechanistic way. Ultimately, and then when they woke up and realized none of it was working, they then rekindled that moralistic bent in every one of us. And that is now we've got to do these things, these performances, in order for God to bless us. And when you have that mentality, you go to church to get And you're in your marriage, you're in your marriage to get. So, brothers and sisters, God then gives this charge. We'll close with the charge. Notice 15 through 16. First, as it relates to our marriages. But no one who has done so who has a remnant of the spirit, verse uh, 15a, unintelligible. No one knows how to translate this. But no one who has done so has a remnant of the spirit. And what did the one do while he was seeking a godly um, offspring? Your translation may, may, may say something completely different. Again, we have no idea what that says. It's the latter part that we do. Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. The first thing he says is, brothers and sisters, take heed to yourself. In other words, wake up. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Or Acts 20, be on guard for yourselves. Or 1 Timothy 4, pay close attention to yourself. Christian, brothers and sisters, wake up for one moment here. Just wake up and evaluate in the context of marriages. Evaluate your marriage. Wake up. And if you evaluate in the context of your marriage lest you be treacherous with regards to your wife that leads to by application what we just saw in verses 11 through 13 two very simple questions. One, are you seeking from your wife that which only can come from God? Are you you seeking from a person that which only can come from God? You will find that That treachery occurs in marriage, in relationships, in friendships, in churches. When you and I look to one another to give that which only can come from Christ. But that's what mechanistic Christianity does. It makes you look to one another for your needs. You are there to meet my needs. If you're married, I, I challenge you. Look at the last fights that you've had or the next fight that you have. Look at it. How many of those fights revolve around you, or better yet, how many of those fights would be avoided if you were not seeking from your spouse that which only can come from Jesus Christ? I just, I just want the thanks. I do all of this stuff, and they don't seem appreciative. Brothers and sisters, you don't need thanks from people. You've got it from God. I just want I want those people to recognize me as 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 a significant being. Brothers and sisters, you've got that recognition from God. You don't need that from your spouse. You don't need that from your friend. You got it in Christ. He's given you everything pertaining to godliness and life in Jesus Christ. You don't need more. But when you and I fall into mechanistic uh, Christianity, we look to our spouse to, get, uh, to, to give us that which should only come from Christ. And that's what you see in verses 11 uh, through 13, specifically uh, 13. I'm not doing things to get. I'm doing things because I've gotten from Christ. Christ is the, is the strength and the core of my being that enables me to serve my wife, to serve my spouse. Secondly, brothers and sisters, as God is the creator... Brother, the creator writes, secondly, in the context of, of marriage, brothers and sisters, there's, um, think, think about your relationship and ask yourself, what is your role? The woman's call is to help, the man's call is to love. Do you know those two words, helper, love, are redemptive words used of Christ. And that co-identification that the Bible does with regards to redemptive language that Christ does towards his bride that we're called to do towards our wife and the wife towards the husband, that co-identification reminds us that a wife and a man's and a husband's role and call is to enable their spouse to be what God intends, not what they intend. So brothers and sisters, in the context of marriage, think, pay close attention to yourself. Are you looking to get from your spouse what only can come from God? Have you misunderstood your role in your marriage as not the receiver, but simply blessing them that they might be the man or the woman God's called them to be? Think. Secondly, notice he's not a condemning. It's just think, guys. Reflect upon the gospel. Reflect upon Christ. Wake up from your mechanistic living and mechanistic Christianity and let's get to the heart and soul of your salvation. Verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. That's a, that's a tie over from verse uh, 15. And he's displeased with those who cover his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. That's a colloquialism. In the ancient day, a really violent crime led the perp the perpetrator to be covered with blood and that's what's being spoken about here this is this is bigger than marriage this can be involved in marriage but this is bigger that's why this last part it repeats think about it think about it it's going back to the first part of this uh, passage think about it brothers and sisters when you go to fellowship gatherings when you leave is your garment covered with blood You go, blood? What are you talking about? Well, brothers and sisters, this is used throughout the Bible. Isaiah 1, 15, Isaiah 59, 3, Ezekiel 23, uh, 37. God's people were, were raising hands covered with blood. That was their worship. Now you go, were they really? Not literally. They were living six days off of other people. They were abusing them, trying to get, 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 get. You have blood on you if you go to someone's home, if you fellowship with someone this morning to get. You are now, you have now now violated or murdered a covenant principle of the body of Jesus Christ. God gave you, God saved you to give. So he says, think about it. Notice he, he ends. Um, so take heed to your spirit that you not deal treacherously in the context of the body of Jesus Christ. When you, when you, when you go, you know what? The worship's... Boring and the pulpit doesn't do it for me, and the fellowship's bad. And that fellowship meal that, that wasn't fun. I don't want to go back to the Thurstons, I don't go back to the Barry's, the Nelson's, they're, they're just not fun, brothers and sisters. You got blood on your garments, you're murdering an incredible principle in the body of Jesus Christ. You do not go to get, you go to give. Why? because you have a relationship with Christ where you have received more than you ever could. I want to close by drawing your attention to this passage that describes the failure of the body of Christ when it comes to, to caring for one another. The glorious news is God has not failed you. Yeah, we can look at this and say, boy, that, this, this, this is true. This does look like churches I've been to. This does look like marriages I've seen. This could be my marriage. Brothers and sisters, isn't it great to know got your, your husband will never let you down? He'll always meet your needs. Isn't it great to know that your husband is glorious and beautiful? His love is so, or his beauty is such that he, you can start in verse 2 of 1. I have loved you. Wow. Brothers and sisters, I close with just drawing your attention to this. Mechanistic Christianity takes Christ out of it. Biblical Christianity is all all about not a performance, but pursuing a relationship with Christ where you live to exalt, glorify, magnify, and enjoy him. Brothers and sisters, that's the call God gave his people. Think. Take take stock. Take note of where you are in your marriage, and your walk, in your relationships. And may God give us the grace to be a people who do not live to get but rather live in order to bring the glorious face and affections of Jesus Christ to the people around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A very difficult passage, we know, just by looking at Bible commentaries. But Lord, what a wonderful passage. And Lord, in spite of of my inability and perhaps our inability to understand Nevertheless, Lord, the little bit we have seen here that already is such an encouragement. God, may we leave here with a greater passion for you. May we leave here with a greater hunger to, to, to love you. Lord, we know we love because you first loved us. And we will love the body of Jesus Christ. Only insofar as we are loving you. So, Lord, we pray this day, way before I'd pray for. The marriages in this body and the fellowship of this body, or anybody, I pray, O oh Lord, individually for the brothers and sisters in this church that we, O oh God, your children, would leave here with a greater passion to know you, to fellowship with you, to have our needs met by you, to exalt and glorify you. That you might increase, that we might decrease, and that we might live our lives, basking in the light of you, our great and glorious God, and whose presence we have been brought through through the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the table.